This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 307. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another show. I am very excited, as I always am, with our odd-numbered shows because we get to have a guest on the show. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and amazing wife, Anitra. That's me. And this week on the show, we are very, very excited to welcome John Manker to the show. How are you doing today, sir? Thank you. I'm doing excellent. All right, so we're going to talk second half of the show about some announcements and also the the PAX Viking series and um, and maybe a couple of other things that, that Ion is working on. But of course, before we do any of that stuff, we've got some business we need to cover. I you have a fact. a fact. I do have a fact about our episode number 307. The fact is interesting, I think. As everybody knows, I'm a baseball fan. So it turns out that in 2019, the Cleveland Indians set the major league record for the most home runs hit by a single team okay. in the year, which was, unsurprisingly, 307. 307. But here's the thing, and I think we'll include this list in the show notes. Here's the thing. If you look at the list, there's 24 teams on the on the top you know, home run by season list. Of the top 20, nine of them were in 2019. Now think about that. In the 100-plus year history of baseball, where there were some number of teams between 12 and 30, Mm. So, I mean, you're talking about, you know, 1,200, you know, individual lines here. Nine of the top 20 ever. Like all-time home All-time home runs in a season were in 2019. That seems strange. (laughs) It's super weird to to the point where they, you know, there was an investigation and, you know, people were accusing baseball of like juicing the baseballs and all sorts of stuff. So um, there's a whole bunch of weirdness around that. But I just thought that was super interesting. And of course, 307, it works out well for me. So, so there you go. All so right. that is our fact about the number 307. Sometimes they're really, really interesting. Sometimes they're just kind of neat. All right. Uh, something else that is just kind of neat is our sponsor message this week. There is so much swirling around in the world that it's hard right now to find some stability. You might be struggling with some of what we've talked about before, like 529s or financial scams or even the sunk cost fallacy. On the positive side, you might be trying to figure out if this is a good time to refinance your house, how and where to invest your savings, or if and when you can retire. Whether you're worried about what's happening right now, or you're lucky to find yourself in a strong financial position and just want some help in making the next move, First Move Financial can help. If you want some help finding solid footing underneath you, or help finding the right step to leap to the next level, Head to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and schedule a quick phone call to see how First Move Financial can help you. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. Okay, at this point in the show, we get to talk about some games that we've been playing. And as always, we let our guests go first. So, John, I am sure that you have been playing some board games. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, As always. I mean... Obviously, I have been playing uh, a game that we are designing right now uh, called uh, Vandal to Viking. Um, so that's in, in playtesting, final playtesting stretch right now. Um, and I'm, I'm very pleased with, with the result. And I, I was actually writing on a game 
um, a design diary. Uh, so I got to collect my thoughts a bit. Uh, I haven't like finished that text yet, but it's uh, fascinating how that game has grown on me. I, 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 it's not always that you get more and more fond of the game you're designing. Sometimes you get more and more tired of it. Uh, <laughs> usually you like it anyways, I would say. or for, for me anyways, I always like the games because you, I'm invested. But sometimes you feel done with it before it's really done. But but this uh, this time with Vandal to Viking, I feel more interested in playing it again and again. And there is some level of intricacy there where, where I still discover things about how the system kind of plays out and where you can find interesting combos and so. And then, well, to take a less obvious choice, or I don't know, obvious, whatever, uh, maybe uh, an unexpected choice, uh, but this is the first that came to my mind. I have taught my daughter to play poker. Awesome. And uh, and it, to have her play board games with me is is a dream I have. Uh, eventually, <laughs> we'll get there. And she's playing a, quite a bit of board games, but she's a bit tired of me coming and saying, can we play a bit board games more? <laughs> no. no, well, no, no. But yeah. sometimes she do play. And she didn't know poker. I taught her poker and and she beat me and she was very fond of it, of course. So that was a, a great experience, actually. That seems to be a thing with kids is if they win the game, right? Although I suppose it's not even just kids. Like that's part of the whole demo thing. You're supposed to let the person you're demoing the game to win. Right? That That is correct. As a game designer, you're supposed to finish last <laughs> in well, your own games. You do that without obviously throwing the game. Right, right. Of course, of course. Yes, 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 yes. And sometimes you actually do because you're so preoccupied with looking at, at other stuff. So yeah. uh, it's... it's um, it's quite common that you lose your own game, especially during development. So how old is your daughter? 15. 15. All right. And just learning poker. Okay. So she's got a world yeah. ahead of her. Of all oh, sorts yeah. Of board games. <laughs> yeah. yeah she, she's please play. She used to have um, some favorites. Her favorite when he, she was like nine was Galaxy Tracker. Great game. Great have you played game. the revision, the, the new version from CGE? I have. Uh, we bought it at, or at, at actually, Basime bought it to give it to her brother um, as a Christmas gift last Essen. So we played it in the hotel lobby once there. And that's 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 fine. I mean, it's a bit a bit streamlined, but um, it's the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, basically. But I'm, I have the I have the big box edition from many years back, so I, I really like this plethora of things going on in that one. I would sure. prefer that one, but that's when you know the game. So right, 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 right. I have a feeling that as the expansions come out in the new version, there will eventually be a big box version of that as well. Probably, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's see. So let's talk about some of the stuff that we've been playing, dear. Yeah, uh, you had a chance to go play games with just adults. So just, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I, a guy was having a game night. He's like, "Hey, the ladies have left. Let's come over and drink beer and be nerds." So we did. Uh, and it was a good time. Uh, and I played two games that I had never played before. The first one is a game. It, I think it's, it's well, I know it's French. It's Condottier. Have you played this, John? No, I have not. All right. So this is a, it's an area control game where, I don't know what they call them in France, but there's like regions of France that um, that you're moving this battle marker around on. And you set the battle marker in a, in a place and you're going around the table playing essentially influence cards, which are numbered one through six. And also there's some tens. There's no seven, eight, nine. It's kind of weird. So you're constantly, you're going around in a circle and everybody's playing their influence cards into this 
pile to try to have the most influence. And, you know, when someone passes, they can't play more cards, um, you know, into the end of the round, that kind of thing. So that always happens. But there's, of course, there's other stuff. There's bishop cards or some kind of clergy. And then there's, um, you know, there's a, there's a couple different kind of special cards or spies, things like that, that change the, the wind dynamics. And you go around, the thing that's really interesting about this is different people run out of cards at different times, because if you pass, you're not going to be spending some of your cards. And, you know, if you run out of cards, until everybody has run out of cards, you can't play again because you're not getting more cards. So there's always this kind of push-pull dynamic of, is it really worth it for me to go after this region? Because if I spend a lot of cards here, I'm not going to have them for a while and I won't be able to influence any other battles anywhere else. You have five of these influence tokens. The goal is to either be the first one to put all five on the board or to influence and own three regions that are connected. And whoever does that first wins. It's pretty straightforward. I lost the first one. I won the second one. You had mentioned to me when you told me about this before, although it's a French game, it is set in Italy. So you're going around all these different regions. Oh, maybe it's an Italian game. I don't know. I'm not good at (laughs) other languages. It's a romance language. (laughs) All the people involved have French names. Okay. Okay. So are you sure about that? I mean, maybe. Most of them. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) I'm wrong. That's okay. Uh, it, It is a fun game. I will you know, put it to you like that. That's kind of one of the first games that I played. The other game I can, I can pronounce this one. It's Chinatown. Uh, have, you know, you haven't played Chinatown. Any no, have but you I played it, John? Somewhat familiar. I have not. No. Okay. So Chi- Chinatown is, so Anitra likes to talk about Monopoly deal as like the best way to play Monopoly. <laughs> I would argue that like Chinatown might be a better way to play Monopoly. And the reason why I say that is because at the beginning of every round in this game, so you, it's almost like you crossed Monopoly with like Pit or something like that. Because at the beginning of the round, you get a series of these like shop tokens, which represent different kinds of shops. And you get a series of, of location cards, which represent these numbered locations, I think one to 85 on the board. And it's it's completely random. So there absolutely is luck in this game. But you, so you put your, your tokens on these numbered spots on the board. And now it's time to start uh, negotiating. It's completely free form. You can make whatever kind of deals you want to. You can offer money. You can offer to trade locations. You can offer to trade these shop kind of tokens. And what you're trying to do is to get collections of these shop tokens onto connected locations. And so like, for example, I think seafood, you need to get three seafood tiles next to each other in order to uh, have a completed seafood shop. And at the end of every round, you get money based on incomplete shops and complete shops. And obviously complete shops are worth way more. Um, And so there's six rounds of the game, something like that, where you're just, you're constantly negotiating and trying to barter and you know you'll get to a point where it's like you happen to have been dealt a location that's very strategically valuable to person x and they've got a strategic location that's valuable to you and you could literally just be like i'll trade you that location for that location sure Sure. or no or whatever or you bring a third party into the negotiation like it's it's very open almost diplomacy like where you can really pretty much make whatever negotiation you want to but at the end of the day it's all about how much money you have left i think i came in third in that game out of five people, so I was squarely in the middle. It's definitely the kind of game where you feel the risk. There's mm-hmm. games where, you know, there's deduction going on and stuff like that. This is a game where, like, if you make a bad deal, you feel personally wronged about making that bad deal because it, it's not like you made a bad deal according to the framework of the game and you were forced to do it that way. Like, you made the deal out of whole cloth. 
You know what I mean? Sure. So so you can really get yourself stuck. So you get really emotionally invested in this game. It's very, very good in that regard. The, the game offers enough scaffolding for you to, to make these negotiations and then just gets out of the way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is which is nice. Which is, it's not it's not kind of walking you through the process. So so it was condottiere, which is either Italian or French. I don't know. I feel like if I was in Europe, it would be a much more offensive of me to not know. Um, and and Chinatown, which was excellent. So that's for me. All right. Well, I definitely have the lightest games on this list today, but that's okay. I have been playing more of Aldabas, which is coming out from Grand Gamers Guild pretty much now. I think, I think it's pretty much out. Yeah. Um, Aldabas is based on the doors of Cartagena. So we're back to Europe uh, in Spain this time. I'll let you talk because I'm going to pick like Denmark or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in Aldabas, you are creating this three card by four card block of doors. And every door has a color of red, yellow, or blue. And every door has a profession type of the people who live there. They could be fishermen, it could be nobles, it could be clergy, it could be soldiers, or it could be builders. In turn, each one of those types, when you play them down into your block, may give you some additional ability you can use as well, which might help you get more cards that you can then decide how you're going to play. It could help you get more money, which you can also use to either buy more cards or buy more influence. And there's a couple of other things that different powers will let you do. Some of them are just end game points. At the end of the game, you tally up the influence that each profession has in your block. And then the player with the most influence in a profession and the player with the second most influence in a profession get points based on that profession. So again, there's still this la- this extra layer of, well, if I have nobles and I end up with a lot of influence in nobles, then I score based on the money I have at the end of the game. So if I am putting down a bunch of nobles, I also want to make sure I get a, a lot of money. If I score highly in Fisher influence, the Fishers give you points for any influence left in your hand at the end of the game. So then you're trying to collect high value cards and not play them down. You're trying to build up your hand bigger and bigger. And so there's all these different layers of balancing. You can't place the same color doors next to each other. There's some rules about how to place doors out into your block. They're all fairly simple. Every individual piece of this is pretty easy to understand, but you've got about four layers of puzzle all working at the same time. And only one of those layers is directly competing with everybody else. Trying to decide, do I have enough influence in this that I'm going to get first place? Do I want to try to get more and lock it in? Am I okay with maybe getting second place and influence in this mm-hmm. instead? Yeah, this game reminded me of Skulls of Sedlek in a lot of ways. A bit, because yeah. you, when you have your placement restrictions, you kind of start on the, the lower left and you have to kind of build up from your lower left. So it's got almost like an inverted pyramid kind of a feeling to it. I mean, it, shape-wise, it's different, but it's right. it's very yeah, similar. Yeah, sure. um, and then all of the different types of things are affecting all of the different, all the other types of things are being affected by them when you do final scoring. So it's definitely more complex than Skulls of like. But if you like that game, this is definitely something that you're going to want to play. Well, and I like Skulls of like, but Aldabas definitely plays better with three or four players oh, yeah, yeah, than, yeah, for than sure. Skulls does. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's a really cool game. Uh, It's very well done. And 
I guess there are some expansions coming out, which will let you change out what some of the professions are so that then you get another layer on top of that with more kinds of scoring conditions and things. As it is, it already feels like it has a lot of replay value because you're going to go for different strategies depending on literally just what ends up in your hand, even at the beginning of the game. Screen doors of Cartagena. (laughs) (laughs) Sliders. French doors in Spain. That's weird. All right. That would be weird. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and the, the other game that I'll talk about for this week is Sunset Over Water. Uh, we have the Pocket Edition. So this takes uh, Dr. Finn's game, Sunset Over Water, makes it smaller, more portable, still plenty of game in the box, and it goes up to five players. You are all playing as artists who are painting landscape pictures and then trying to sell them to fulfill specific contracts. So every day, every round, you're playing out a card that says when you get to start traveling around in the little landscape tableau, how many moves and what direction you can move within the tableau, and then how many paintings you can actually paint, how many items you can pick up. I love multi-use cards like this. It's really neat to play it out and see like, oh, I get to go first, but I'm doing more stuff than you. Or you're going second, and so you're, you know, I get first pick, but you're going to actually be able to get more stuff or do more effective things. Once you get into the habit of how the game works, it feels pretty straightforward to me. Your big thing is that you're looking for how can I possibly get the paintings that will fulfill contracts? Because some are very simple contracts, but most of them are complicated. Like you need one painting with exactly three features and two of them have to be a waterfall and a sun. And then you need another painting with exactly one feature. Um, Most of the paintings out in the tableau have two features. There's a lot of like, how can I possibly move? How many can I pick up? Can I get what I need? You're allowed to fulfill multiple contracts if it is possible which also makes it nice to go earlier so that you can take those contracts and nobody else can grab them. But you always have the trade-offs there. The earlier you go, the less you're probably going to be able to do. Yeah, this game is a lot of fun. It's beautiful. Uh, the, the artwork in this. I mean, even the original Sunset Overwater had beautiful artwork. The game's not currently available. It is on pre-order. There's actually a, a special pre-order campaign. This show is coming out on, I think, the 29th. And the pre-order campaign is through the end of August. So if you're listening to it, to this show and it right now, saying, good. Do it right uh, now. you should probably head over to the Pen to First website. We will put the link to the special uh, pre-order campaign in the show notes so that you have it. That sounded like a game that could be re, re, re-themed somewhat. Uh, my first idea was... It could be a, a one of those K-pop things where you put together a K-pop group and you need a certain kind of thing and the contracts <laughs> is the trends this year and then you play a bunch of year and you get the best little K-pop group there. It definitely could. I, you know, I think I think you're onto something because I feel like uh, K-pop is a big thing that doesn't have a lot of board games. Although I don't uh, know what the yeah. Venn diagram of board gamers and K-pop fans really looks like. <laughs> they they are both nerd both nerds I'd say. The more yeah. variety we get in board That's game true. games, the That's better true. off we all do. That's true. Yeah. And and I, I will say, you know, a little bit of, of behind the curtain. We have talked a few times about doing a show about music themed games. And yeah. we we haven't been satisfied with our current selection. So John, if you make a, a K pop game, <laughs> uh, there you go. No. 
Uh, now now that will. you've come up with the idea on our show, you're morally I, obligated. No, I, I will. I will. I will think if I do, I will definitely come to you first. <laughs> All right, excellent. All right. All right, that's the kind of backroom dealing that we like at the Family Gamers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Might even have you included in the game if you want. Our hey, artists sure, can paint you, make yeah. make you K-pop or pop artists. I, I definitely so we'll need see. a little bit of K-pop artist influence to make me look a little more handsome. That would be very helpful. Can I also be taller? <laughs> That would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, they are very tall in Korea. Right, right. right. <laughs> no, but the K-popper usually are. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of a, a tall, thin Korean Android? Does that work for you, Anitra? That doesn't sound like an Android right now. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I am none of okay. those things. You are none of those things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break, and I will ponder my lack of K-popness. <laughs> Uh, and then when we come back, John, we're going to talk about uh, Pax Viking and a couple other things. You mentioned Vendel to Viking already. Um, there's some really kind of neat stuff going on with that game that I kind of want to just touch on. Yes, sir. And uh, yeah, we'll see what else comes out of that conversation. All right. Yep. All right, Sounds we'll good. We'll be right Nitra, don't you love watermelon on a hot summer day? I do, but this isn't watermelon. It's wordamelon. This is a snack review for wordamelon. Wordamelon is a word crafting and memory game designed by Garrett Donner and Michael Steer. It's published by Bananagrams, who recently re-released it in this more traditional looking box. Speaking of the box, let's talk about the art in this game. Yeah, let's. Everything in this game is watermelon themed. The board, the letter tokens, and the box. Even the rules pamphlet is green on the outside and pink on the inside. Let's talk about how to actually play this game, though. Okay. Set up the watermelon-shaped board and get out all the letter tokens. Flip them all face down to the seed side, then place a seed in each space on the board. Return any leftover tokens to the box. On your turn, roll the die and flip over that many seed tokens, three, four, or five. Try to make a word with only the available letters. Then, take all the letters you use and add them to your score stack. Flip over any letters you weren't able to use, and remember where they are so you can pick them another time. When there aren't enough letters left to make any more words, the game is over. Whoever has the most seed tokens wins. There are two variations in the rules, too. There's letter up, in which unused letters are left face up, allowing for longer words and less of an exercise of memory. And word a yellin', which turns this into a speedy game to shout out the longest possible word from the available letters. Okay, <laughs> Anitra, what did we expect from Wordamelon? We have a kid who likes word games, and another kid who likes memory games and puzzles like Wordle. I hope this would bridge the gap between the two of them. Banana Grams games are usually quick to set up and easy to explain whether they're based on a food pun or not. <laughs> so I expected Wordamelon would be some of the same. Wordamelon was pretty much what we expected, but there were a few small surprises. It took the kids a little while to warm up to the game, but by the second or third time they played, they began to understand the strategy. Not just turning over letters randomly, but trying to combine some new letters with others that they knew, but which hadn't been used yet. 
It is a little disappointing to see Bananagrams move away from its signature game-in-a-bag packaging, but this still isn't a large game, and being made solely of cardboard makes it a lot more environmentally friendly, if that's something that you're concerned about. I really like those bags, though. They are very cute. So, Anitra, do we recommend Watermelon? I definitely recommend it for casual family play. I especially liked playing it one-on-one with just one of our kids at a time. For us, that provided great practice with both vocabulary and anagram making. You know, I think you'd love to play this with your mom sometime. Oh, yeah, she loves Scrabble, but this is a word game (laughs) I think I could actually win against her. Well, in light of that, Anitra, what are we going to rate Wordamelon? We're going to rate it four seeds out of five. And that's Wordamelon in a a snap. John Manker, and we are going to talk about a number of the games that you have worked on and that are coming out soon, I think. So, John, can I, uh, are you, uh, can I call you the Grand Poobah of Ion? Of Ion? Is that, a, is that a, <laughs> an acceptable term? <laughs> I, well, I, I actually not enough well-versed in, in those cultural stuff. I don't know what the Grand Poobah is. So I guess I said yes, but I, I don't know what I'm saying yes to. Yeah, I suppose that it would it would be unfair of me to expect you to, you know, acknowledge some weird thing that you don't really know. Okay, that's that's fair. Alright, um, so, but you are... I'm I'm the lead, lead game designer. Lead game designer. Uh, right. It's usually what I call myself. I, I function as a creative director, really. Okay. Uh, and I, I'm also the founder of the game, of the, of the, of the company. All right. So talk a little bit about Ion and uh, and really what your general focus is with the types of games that um, that you publish. Yeah, well, we publish uh, games based on reality, based on real facts. Uh, and we do that with the ambition of making them not simulations because we want to make games. And this means that the game has real reality behind all the components and all the assets in the game. Uh, but it's not necessarily or maybe very rarely you actually play the game and it will play out the way it is in reality. So you will play alternate versions of history, science, and so forth. And this this is this is working excellent, I think. And it's been my interest from, I don't know, back in the tabletop role-playing times when transforming reality into a game system was kind of a thing. I, I, I liked that part of it. I also liked the exploration and the you know the character development and, and all of that. But but that was really that was really my I think the most fun part of it. Uh to 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 do that and together with the group is usually a joint effort of course um to find some concept oh we don't know uh how, how to handle you know throwing of, of axes or or baking bread i don't know and then to make that into something um but yeah so so that's one part of where this came from another part is that it's really worked well from the start when i started to do games based on reality because i find it very good for lateral uh, to, that's a good constraint for your lateral thinking and to be creative with, within that and to find a kind of internal logic to a game when you force yourself to follow some constraint from reality just because it's reality. So if, if it's a space game and you're traveling past Jupiter, well then, 
what's going to happen there? Check reality. What's going on? What's, Jupiter is very radioactive. All right, let's put radioactive dangers over there. Jupiter is strong. Sure, it has tons of moons. There are something called Trojans. Oh, maybe you can have something. Uh, yeah, so every, anything that's that's there for, for whatever subject you're doing the game for. It's it's a fun and, and good way of, of being creative and find interesting solutions. And we do that. Uh, all the way down to the to the mechanics. Uh, so uh, our games are are not like a, a theme dressed upon a very well oiled system. The system and the theme are intertwined and developed together uh, as a as as a part or or um, artistic mm, interpretation presentation of 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 that theme. Um, when we started Ion, or when I started it, I played games for, for uh, yeah, I played lots and lots of games, <laughs> um, any kinds, and I, I've done so much in in you know game. I, the the tabletop role playing stuff, of course. I was interested in board games before that. I was designing board games all the way since I was nine. Uh, I've been doing games for web pages. I've been doing games for. I started the game education, the bachelor's degree uh, education. Um, I've been doing doctoral research on game design uh, uh, practices. Uh, I've been working in the dig- digital game industry at a place called Paradox. Uh, I run a web company where we did games. Yeah, so you know, I've been doing many, many different facets of it. Uh, and when I started, we we did pretty uh, complex games, and it turned even more complex. Um, but our goal with with um, our vision, I would say, with Ion, me and Besime, who who is uh, the CEO and and my closest partner in running the company, we have a, a vision that we want to make a difference. We want to contribute to making board games more accepted and and uh, as a profession and more established as something uh, serious and and really important to the degree that we both think it is. It's a it's a wonderful way of uh, both both pastime, socializing, meeting over generation borders uh, and and language borders, and in this world we really need that, and um, and also to uh, evolve and, and 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 learn and develop your brain, and so it's, it's just a, a truckload of positive things, and we want that to be more of you know seriously accepted in society, uh, not like oh you're oh you're 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 just playing around at your office, right? Uh, no, we're not. This is serious stuff. Uh, so, so uh, it's fun too. But uh, yeah, so that was a little bit of of Ion. Cool. Um, I, I actually I didn't realize that you are at Paradox, and so you have that kind of partnership. I'm guessing that's kind of where the Crusader Kings board game. <laughs> kind of yes. I, I met. Um, I mean, I worked there for about a uh, little shy of a year. I think if I and um, I did uh, work on uh, the implementation of games for for mobile uh, platform, which was done as an interpretation of the game into a board game system and then back and and a few things which I still can't talk about. But uh, even though it was a while, <laughs> sure. But I I did meet some people there and and they contacted me. That was um, a guy called Thomas Harenstam who is running the Free League, which is a company that publishes uh, role playing games. Uh, so they have published the Alien and and uh, New Lord of the Rings and uh, Dragons and Dungeons and 
stuff. They wanted to do a board game uh, and uh, on this game, and they got that contract from Paradox. So we helped them, um, and I ended up, I was just there to do some initial bouncing but i ended up working quite a bit on the design part of it and basima helped out a bit with the with their contacts with china she didn't do the the real manufacturing they they handled it and chose the things myself but so i worked quite a bit on that uh design wise mm-hmm. and it turned out to be a very fun game i would say yeah. uh capturing like the, the the craziness of of crusader kings and i think and we went that's what we went for and i think we succeeded uh, so it's it's a really enjoyable experience when you play it. So I, I do want to um, kind of walk through this thought process that I went through as I was planning out this whole conversation. So sure. obviously, uh, a lot of the games that Ion does, um, and also Sierra Madre, we'll talk about Sierra Madre a little bit as well, they're pretty meaty. Like I was looking at uh, BIOS Origins, and I, I quickly decided that my head would explode if I you know tried <laughs> to learn how to play that and then play that game. On the flip side, PAX Viking, which is something that we've kind of already teased that we're going to talk about a little bit, is regarded as a slightly more approachable and lighter game, even though it comes in at uh, 3.2 on on the on complexity the scale, scale for VGG, oh which is already past what Anitra wants to play. That's fine. <laughs> I uh, want to play it, but it's not necessarily what I want to play. <laughs> so for people who don't know, the PAX series in general are fairly complicated, multi-mechanic like Euro games that are designed by, uh, most of them designed by Phil Eklund and published by Sierra Madre. So then I went to the Sierra Madre website where it says, I guess this is on their BGG page, where it says, Sierra Madre is a producer of educational family board games. So those two things in contrast with each other made me laugh a lot. But it does say covering a broad range of subjects in science, history, prehistory, and natural history. And then, of course, you talked about Ion and your desire to really ground the games that you make in reality and in, in things that actually happen. Um, and I can I can just imagine the ability of, of the folks on your team to be able to like really dig into how things actually work. And that's super interesting stuff to be able to then turn around and then bring that into the board game sphere. So I, I guess I'll ask you this question. When you when you look at these games, do you prefer, like, just out of curiosity, like, do you prefer really meaty stuff? Is that where you're, you're most comfortable is, is with that stuff? Oh, you mean uh, when I design or when I play myself or... or yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, both and all of it. Yes, yes. To, to just ponder a bit around that subject, I think, I mean, I'm, uh, I played a lot of games, as I said, and I have... It, when you started to play complex games, um, that is a, an, a, a um, it's like you have tasted blood if you were a tiger. You, it's <laughs> it's it's hard to go back, and it's hard to really. Uh, I wouldn't say it's hard to appreciate simpler games, not not at all. But this richness of, of the complex gaming, it, it gets into you your head and and it's um it's really rewarding um to play them uh, so personally i tend to prefer to play relatively complex games mm-hmm. uh, but the the vision or the the calling or whatever you'd like to call it i have for for this uh, of making board games spread to more people uh, and in society and, and acceptance that makes me almost more prone towards designing simpler games at this point, mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. And that's that's one of the, the prime goals, for example, with Pax Viking, to make it simple enough so it's just on the edge of being a little little of a, a challenge, but that people who no, normally don't play complex games uh, as much might try it 
and then find it really enjoyable, hopefully, and then maybe try another and another and then uh, travel, I wouldn't say down, but up the, the <laughs> wonderful tower of, of more and more complex stuff. Uh, it's not necessarily so that, that more complexity is good uh, just in and of itself, but it's, um, it is definitely rewarding to, to take a step into that domain. And the pack series is, is yes, it was... Um, uh, Phil has has designed several of them, but that's actually a series that has been uh, populated by several others as well. Uh, obviously, Cole Worley, who did Pax Pamir, uh, the first edition, together with Phil. Uh, and usually Phil has been like together with, but it's been a, a someone else has, has come up with. Phil's son, Matt, was, was heavily involved in making the first Pax, the Pax Porphyriana, and he also made Pax Transhumanity. Uh, and I myself did Pax Viking. Uh, so there's been several other going into that. And the Pax series, uh, it's not really defined, but I would say it's about the time frame, at least when we think about it. So a Pax game is generally a generation tops it's one one you know lifetime so it won't be uh, normally 500 years or anything it's it's like mm. 50 years uh, it's an economic game usually it has something to do with how economy uh, works uh, it's an historic game uh, it usually has um, victory conditions that you grab rather than points that you count so all of a sudden someone wins because you have fulfilled a victory condition then it usually features, you know, it's card-based and it features a market somehow. But uh, there is no real definition to it, I would say. Sure, sure. Uh, when it comes to, yeah, that's what I'm designing and what I enjoy playing. When it comes to what's most most important, I don't know. I, I really think that simple games are are. Uh, beautiful and very important. Uh, one of my favorite games are Go, uh, which is a you can you can teach anybody in a minute almost, uh, but it's considered maybe the the most advanced strategy game mm-hmm. out there. Um, mm-hmm. And and this that there is there is beauty to that simplicity, obviously. But it's also important, I think, for for. Um, what board games can be you can only have so many of these simple beautiful uh you know strategic abstract stuff but when you get the game to contain a lot of content it becomes so many different paths it can take and it's it's more of, of like books or movies or, or or such that you can becomes a rich world to explore and i, I think that's also very important and they tend to go towards the complex when you have that situation right so yeah no precise answer, but anyways. <laughs> that's all right. That's all good. Okay. <laughs> so we here at the Family Gamers, we talk a lot about how all board games are educational in some way. True. The games that you've been working on are certainly games that help with learning system dynamics and how to fit all of these complexities together, as well as history and some of the other aspects that you were talking about pulling in things from the real world. Yeah. Uh, even for adults, these games are educational. Yeah. Even if they're not really intended to teach, it's the kind of thing you learn simply by playing the game. Yes. Even like Vendel the Viking, which I think we mentioned is coming out later this year or possibly early next year. I found out that you're doing a partnership with Worldbook uh, yeah. related to that game. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about that? 
Yes, uh, yeah, excellent uh, uh, that you bring that up. Uh, yes, I we have a partner with Worldbook. We have been approached a few times uh, in this in this context, but Worldbook caught our our eye, uh, and that's not because we knew about them, uh, because uh, that's just because we read about them when when they contacted us, and we think it's a really really cool thing they have been doing for a hundred plus years and many many things on the way not only releasing those encyclopedias and and you know surviving the digital transformation still giving out this encyclopedias printed but but having this good online thing and collaboration with but also that they they released the first encyclopedia in Braille for for blind people. Uh, they have done yearbooks uh, that they keep track of just to save them because they're so interesting to read what was written about 1934 in 1935. So they, they really appreciate uh, many interesting things about learning and teaching. So we, we really like that. And so we partnered up with them. And it's obviously because we want also, as I've been talking about, making these the board games spread and be, be taken seriously. And they really liked they, they, what they fell for was actually Pax Viking, uh, and they liked both the quality and how it was, you know, uh, put together. And they didn't have uh, they had some some simple games, I think, but they didn't really have uh, board games. So so they felt this was was a very interesting partnership. And then we are using their database for facts. And then when we when we met, they said, there's no problem. We have everything in our encyclopedia. And we said, mm-hmm. well, we won't be disappointed if that's not true. But uh, <laughs> and we usually have. And that's, that's I say nothing. They're, they're doing an excellent, excellent job. But we are doing such niche themes. So, I mean, yeah, the totally. Vendel period is, is, is hardly even known among uh, many people in Sweden hardly knows about the, the Vandal period, uh, even though it's a very important thing because it's what led to the Viking era, which is very well known. So, so it's yeah, it's usually it's it's hard to find all the facts. But then we just research research facts at other places, and they they check all the texts that we do, and they double check that it's you know they can put their logo on it, and it's also of course to to you know get the the game to spread. And I think it's mostly. In, at least for our sake, it's mostly in America because any any American we ask know what World Book is. No one out of America knows it, as, <laughs> as far as we've asked so far. No, no science behind that survey. Sure. Uh, but if we can help bring that knowledge uh, or awareness of World Book to other countries, uh, that's just a, a nice bonus, I think, because we're happy about that that partnership. And then I just wanted to say, since you brought uh, all games are, are sort of learning experiences, uh, you brought that up and you said a little bit about, uh, I don't remember the wording, but that even though they're not intended as, you know, teaching tools, you kind of learn stuff anyways. And that's that's really, when I was into academia and, and did research and, and started educations about this, I constantly got, you know, I would say 90% of all the questions from other people that learned, oh, you're doing this, interesting. And then came a question. It was either, is computer games dangerous for your kids? <laughs> and and the answer is no. Uh, and then uh, the, that is short answer. But anyways, and then the other one, <laughs> the other one was, uh, how can you make games that you learn from? 
uh-huh. often okay. saying, "So you have, so they are doing something useful." And I'm not. Th- I don't think they they need to learn from them for games to be useful. I think game and playing games is very good for you, regardless. But I've been giving this a lot of thought and and a lot of of study, and to my uh, also and not me i wouldn't take credit for it but i also read you know papers about it but but it's also my own observations and thinking and i think to get games that you know cracks this thing of learning and gaming uh is the holy grail for for many researchers and the problem is that you you're trying to make games that teach you something i think that we the games come from playing and playing comes even cats play when they're kids and we play when we were kids that playing is central to our development as as species and as as individuals as as a living thing and and when that started i don't know but it was definitely before humans so we play in a way of evolving and testing things and t- trying uh, how to become adults and and mm-hmm. functioning better as adults and that continues in adulthood as well i believe uh, so it's it's very <laughs> hopefully yeah but so so it's very it's very central uh, and and the thing is that there's also this somewhat a controversial term called the magic circle where where the game works as long as the magic you are inside the magic circle and when someone you know breaks it then the game stops uh, such as if someone takes the the soccer ball with their hands or something and then that that ties back to to the learning because if you play a game and you're into this game and then you feel oh this is because someone wants me to learn these german words then the game is broken the magic circle is broken and it all falls apart like a house of cards mm-hmm. that's what you need to do if you want to design games that makes you learn something don't make them as if you're learning them my favorite example of this is i'm i turned out to be good have a talent for rock band and, and guitar hero which yes. are these yes. old games yeah yeah <laughs> one of my favorite games is is rock band 3 actually i would love to do a board game on rock band but i don't know if that's uh, that's a challenge yeah, to make to capture it now well yeah. we've got uh, what is that record from yanaguana games so that kind of captures some of that a little bit of that, that band putting, yeah putting the guitar picks and it's something. yeah Anyways, but but I was I was um, I was good at picking it up, and, and I Im- immediately almost went to medium difficulty, pretty soon to hard. And I used to play a lot of uh, viola when I was a kid, and uh, playing in orchestras and stuff. And and I was playing in orchestras. You need to be fast at ad lib, mean read musical notes and playing it. Uh, and I thought uh, maybe that's why I, I had this talent for for. For rock band, because you had this, uh, you know, uh, motoric thing together with with visual cues and make that in the musical content. So I actually asked when I was at GDC in in San Francisco a year when they had a, a postmortem uh, presentation of, of Rock Band Two, I believe it was. Uh, so the developers were there, and I asked them. Uh, so I, I have this talent for rock band and i also have a lot of experience from playing musical notes and could that be a connection yeah they said it's probably true they had some similar view some similar observations so i think if you want to make a game where you teach someone to read musical notes maybe rock band 2 would be a good choice or rock band but that's not the obvious thought. If you give someone make a game that teaches someone to to read musical notes, they wouldn't come up with rock band. They would come up with something which is visual, and you have you know notes, and you have too much. So it's exactly as sound that the learning sound in movies comes to you without you knowing it. 
you, you don't realize that you're listening to this music that makes you happy or sad. The same with learning when you play games. It needs to come to you without you realizing that you're learning this now. That's when you really learn. And that's that's uh, fits so well together with what you said there about you. It's not really designed to learn, but you're still learning stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that somewhere in that domain, I think you really find this holy grail. Yeah, I agree. So our philosophy here is that all games will teach you something yeah. through the process of play. Yeah. But what they teach you is not necessarily tied to the reason why you think you're playing the game. Exactly. This is true even on the very lowest end, little kids, like two, three, four years old. When yeah. they're playing games, they're learning things like how to take turns, how to wait, how to plan ahead. That's yeah. not what the game is exactly. about. No, it's never what the, the game, game is. About. You know, move along the track, <laughs> right. you know, match colors or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that's not really what they're learning. You know, if it's a color matching game, they already need to be able to match colors to play the yeah. game. Yeah. But they're learning how to do these really fundamental skills. So the same thing is true at the higher end that if you make a game, that is really interesting and based in some aspect of reality, whether that's, you know, history or biology or, you know, outer space or whatever. But if it's really truly based on those things and including real aspects of those things, then as people play the game and have fun with it, they'll go, oh, why did, to use your example earlier, oh, why did this stuff happen when we passed Jupiter? Yeah. I don't know. Like, oh, maybe there's more radiation there. Maybe we should go look that up and find out if that's true. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and it, it would stick, it will stick in your mind so much more when you yes. experience it that way. Yep. And that yes. actually gets into the whole concept of game schooling and, and using games as part of uh, any kind of, you know, unschool or homeschool kind of uh, context where, yeah. you know, okay, we're learning about, the Apollo missions, let's go play the game from Buffalo games about the Apollo missions and just kind of, yeah, it's, it uses different circuits in your brain to kind of talk about some of that same stuff. I, I can yeah. use a, a very similar example, which I think is kind of dumb, but that's okay. Uh, so <laughs> in the United States, so Ms. Marvel, the Disney plus series just wrapped up. And as part of that, they talk about the partition. And I looked at that and I was like, I have no idea what this thing is. I, I don't know. I don't know what the partition. I had no clue. But but just seeing like little bits of it and having it be treated as a real thing that was serious made me say, you know what? I need to know what this thing is. Like I, I need to understand this because as it turns out, it was kind of horrible and it's it was a terrible thing. And you know, I mean, it's that whole thing about like those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Like yeah. learning about this stuff, even just with drips and drops in the games or in the in the video games or in the TV shows or the movies that you watch, having enough exposure to spark curiosity is a really incredibly powerful thing. Yeah, that it's 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 very uh, it's very good, and I really like what you're saying. It's it's really aligned with what I think is good and important in in board gaming and gaming in general. All right. Well, I guess we've kind of teased this a little bit, but uh, <laughs> we we um, we know that there is a new announcement that Ion is primed to make, and we are humbled and excited to be the place in which this uh, will 
initially be made, I suppose. Um, so I'll, I'll just hand it off to you to talk about something a little some, younger, something that might be coming. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And uh, and and an ex- excellent uh, uh, timing it is after we have said this so so intelligent and, and true stuff about you know uh, development and and so forth and, and that we share these thoughts. And uh, I mean, as I said, we want to spread board gaming. And one thing is to make less complex games. But another thing is to make games for younger persons. And we really want to do that. And we have both ideas um, and initiated potential collaborations with others who are more into that. But we also want to make games ourselves. So we're going to make a junior game. And this is the first junior game that uh, Ion ever makes. uh, And hopefully not the last. And it's going to be PAX Viking Junior. Um, And someone might have heard of it, but it's, it's really... Here I'm saying it officially for the first time. Uh, and I'm working on it right now. I uh, know, well, uh, like an hour ago. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about this. So, um, I mean, I, well, the first question on here, I think we kind of know the answer to, which is what led to deciding uh, to make something that really does focus on that younger age. But kind of alongside with that, what kinds of things did you look at and say, you know what, this is something that we can simplify, or this is something maybe tangential to all of this that we can really focus on and bring in as mechanics that are going to work for a younger demographic? Well, for, I mean, the obvious answer, we want to spread board gaming in a wider uh, range. And and it's it's both having young people play, but to, in all fairness, uh, a, a junior game or a game for young people uh, also involves uh, the whole family so it might be an activity that that the kid do with their grandmother or with their with their father or with their cousin or something and it's easier to get that on the table i think uh, if it's less complex uh, which oh, yeah. than junior games are yeah, yeah. so but uh, and what did i how how did we look on this one of we we have studied a bunch of, of junior games just to get a feel of oh how they are usually you know transferred and then we have focused on games that are versions of more complex adult games mm-hmm. because that's what we're going to do and and so that's one input into it and thinking about who you are as a player it's usually usually good to have some uh, less abstract point of identification then also the level of you know how many different kinds of actions are there generally in these kinds of games and how many different kinds of you know parameters but other than that we have i mean i have mainly looked at at pax viking and thought which aspects of of pax viking can be mashed together which can be dropped entirely to make it but i still want to keep the kind of game feel of pax viking the core idea of exploration which is in there and and uh, i'm not decided yet, uh, but I'm trying to get it to work with variable victory conditions rather than points, mm-hmm. some kind of point system. But I've obviously taken down and all the different kinds of actions. So it's uh, at the moment, it's really just, I would say, almost one action, but it, three variants of, of the same action. Sure which is moving around, uh, basically. But you can do that in, in three ways. Uh, whereas in Pax Viking, you have nine different actions uh, to choose from. a few from. more. <laughs> it's a few more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, But looking at the game we are transferring into junior version. Uh, so I, I, want, I have two things. I want to keep the game feel uh, of it, and I want to 
challenge the age. We haven't set exactly for it, but at the moment it's probably six plus years. Mm-hmm. So it's oh, for wow. six years old. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, I want to challenge those kids a little bit. So so I do I will I will try. We will play test this with many kids. Uh, but it's uh, it's surprising how uh, as long as they get the the rules, so to speak. It's surprising how relatively complex you can do it anyways. At least if you go up yeah. to, you know, five, it's, it's it's a lot of things going on there. Four is a big difference from five and fives to six and so forth. Yeah, yeah, but you can really, you can really challenge it. So I want to take it, you know, just as I did with Pax Viking, which is geared towards families, but, you know, maybe off a bit off the comfort zone. But that's mm-hmm. intentional because I want to lure them into the wonderful world of complex <laughs> games. Uh, and, the uh, <laughs> and pull the strings. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, so, so that's the same. That's, that's another ambition there. And when it comes to, this is an interesting discussion we had um, where we, among the different games we looked at, many of them have rules that are really written for, for adults. You, you don't, you couldn't expect, you know, a seven, eight, even a, maybe even a ten-year-old to to read this, and you can't really expect a six-year-old to read the rules at all. But we, we, an ambition right now, we'll see where we land, is to make the rules uh, not for the adult, but easy enough for an older sibling to read. So maybe. Mm-hmm play from 6 plus rules for 10 plus rather than many junior games we've seen which is for uh, x years young person but uh, grown up they need to read the rules mm. yeah so that's that's another consideration yeah that makes a lot of sense i am really excited for this idea because great to hear i love seeing games that are appropriate for children and maybe toned down a little bit from the complexity yeah without being a quote-unquote kids game it doesn't need yeah. to be bright shiny colors and talking down to kids as if they can't understand no Just trying to keep things simple yeah when do you hope pax viking jr will be available for those of us who are interested yeah so it will be um it's a ways off. <laughs> yeah it is but we, but it's uh, we we usually present uh, most of our games uh, we present them in some kickstarter or game found or others um, crowdfunding context and we will probably present uh, pax viking in such not as a as you know the game of the kickstarter but as an add-on or or something probably this is still unofficial so i maybe i shouldn't say it but it's it's probably going to be so and probably during the autumn uh and then but then we're gonna finalize it and manufacture it uh and hopefully it will be available as as a game to next sn23 but this is you know the situation is crazy i i can't even start saying how how different difficult it's some to some degree is to plan stuff the way it is right now with with all the the delays and shipping in china and and, and all of that so no promises but that's that's <laughs> that's the current ambition anyways we all have um, goals <laughs> we all have goals yeah exactly yeah all right. Well, John, thank you so much for coming and spending an hour and talking about all these games. You know, it really sounds like, especially from a board game perspective and also video games, maybe um, we are very much kindred spirits in what we're looking for and and what we yeah. really want to do with board games in terms of kind of exposing them to the world and, and showing people how wonderful this thing that board gaming is, you know, it really can be for just about anyone. Yeah. 
where if people wanted to, to, to reach out to you online and maybe say hi or say, hey, we heard you on the show or whatever, uh, what's the best way that they could do that? Where would they find you? I think maybe the best way is uh, I'm relatively, relatively, I'd say, active on Instagram, uh, where it's my username. Username is June Manker, just my, my name as, as one, no space. Uh, and also, obviously, I think maybe uh, a good way is to go to our Discord, Ion Game Design official Discord. Uh, I don't know if you have the link, but I can, me or Basimi can send you a link and if you can, you sure. can add yeah, it. Yeah, we'll so. make sure to include it in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I would say either of those two um, are the best. I, yeah, probably. All right. Awesome. I'm usually, I'm usually active on, on, um, Bo- on Board Game Geek as well. Uh, so you can yes. check me up there, but you know, it's on and off and not always you have time to go there and do as much of commenting as you should. But yeah, so and then uh, very happy to to be here and, and talk about these games and uh, the different kids games. We have also the family games that we are we are working on, uh, trying to get. I mean, this is a kids, this is junior version, but we are doing a few games uh, that we are are starting to launch under the label Ion Light, which is a oh, different cool. logo. Oh, awesome. uh, and uh, one of those is is uh, Stay Quets, which is a dice game. Um, but there are others. There is a, a space game called Dawn of Titan, and we have um, we also have. It's further down the line. They're they're relatively ready made, but we have a quiz game called Smarter Than a Monkey, and we also have. I thought you it said Moomin on your she on your shirt, but we have Moomin, oh, Moomin, <laughs> But we have uh, we are we have a, um, a collaboration with the Moomin characters, so we're making a Moomin oh, game. Funny. Oh, funny. Uh, about the same it's the same mechanic rim with which also a dice game uh, yeah, yeah. but all of these are for you know family and and we're aiming for uh below 2.5 in 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 mm-hmm. complexity well i'm hoping that you've sold anitra on pax viking and i can get I, her maybe. to to play it with maybe. me that's that's what yes. i'm hoping for <laughs> yes and i i hope so too and i hope to be able to play with you uh pax viking sometime uh and it's really not that complex when you have learned the, the that's uh, that's another uh, thing about complex uh, games yeah as soon as you have the the, the things down uh what to do it's uh you pretty much know you know um that moment when it all gels together and makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Okay, I, I know what I'm doing now. Yeah. Exactly. Some some complex game has tons and tons of, of special rules and exceptions. And that's what sometimes makes them hard because, oh, you didn't know about the dash rule. What is the dash rule? But there is <laughs> not much of that in, in, in Pax Viking. When when you know, you know the basics, you start to evolve from that. So uh i think you i think you can definitely enjoy it pretty uh-huh. soon uh-huh. Uh-huh. all right you can stop elbowing me now <laughs> <laughs> well anitra if some of our show listeners would like to reach out to you and convince you that you should play packs by <laughs> <laughs> where would they go to do that uh well if they really want to talk to me they should probably email me anitra <laughs> at the if you want to email me support, you can email me, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. But if you want to talk to us more generally, you can find us on social media at FamilyGamersAA. That's uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, sometimes on TikTok. I'm too old to do TikTok, but I try. Uh, you can also find videos of our last two years worth of Snap Reviews on YouTube at The Family Gamers. 
Don't forget to head over to our Facebook community, thefamilygamers.com forward slash community, or just search on Facebook for the Family Gamers community, where we talk about all sorts of stuff, including this week, Pax Viking. <laughs> yes. So head over there and uh, and and maybe we can we can talk John into hopping in the Facebook community and chit-chatting about that. Uh, don't forget to check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. You can find t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. If you liked what you heard today, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Definitely yes, subscribe. About the podcast. <laughs> and leave us a review uh, at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're subscribing. Uh, ratings and reviews do a lot to help raise our profile with people who otherwise wouldn't find the show. So we appreciate that very much. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks again to First Move for sponsoring this episode. All right, we did it, John. This is a show. Perfect. Thanks again for coming on. We really, really do appreciate it. We really do. Yeah, thank you for having me. And for everybody else out there, until next week, everybody, play games with your kids. kids.